Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome. We're so glad to have you with us here this evening on Ask Herbal Health Expert Susan Weed, a two-hour radio show each Tuesday night. Herbal medicine is people's medicine, simple, safe, effective. Please bring your curiosity and health questions. Susan will enlighten, surprise, and delight you. I know most of you know Susan Weed already. She's my mom, so I know her. But for those of you who have not yet met Susan, I'd like to share she is the author of the Wise Woman Herbal Series, wonderful books on women's health and herbal medicine, including Wise Woman Herbal for the Childbearing Year, Breast Cancer Breast Health! Exclamation point, The Wise Woman Way, Healing Wise, The Wise Woman Herbal, New Menopausal Years, The Wise Woman Way, Down There, Sexual and Reproductive Health, The Wise Woman Way. And Abundantly Well, Seven Medicines, The Wise Woman Way, the newest book in the Wise Woman Herbal Series. So exciting. In addition to being the editor at Ashtree Publishing and writing her books, Susan is the director of the Wise Woman Center in Woodstock, New York. The Wise Woman Center is open to the public on appointment-only basis. She offers weekend workshops, intensives, and apprenticeships throughout the season. Susan is also available to you online via wisewomanmentor.com. There you can go and view her weekly e-zine. You can subscribe to receive a notification via email each week, or you could join her mentorship program. Susan also offers distance learning correspondence courses and online courses at thewisewomanschool.com. Join us there for colorful, instructive, easy video courses, including Easy Herbal Medicine with Susan Weed, Happy Knees, a cancer diagnosis, adaptogens for long life, and abundantly well companion course, wisewomanschool.com. You can also just go to her website, susanweed.com, where you will find thousands of pages online with recipes, articles, art features, and so much more. Well, for now, let's see what Susan has to share with us this evening. Thank you, and welcome, Susan. Thank you, Justine, and welcome, Sarah Ellen. Hi, Susan. How are you this evening? Oh, really having a good time. How about you? Oh, I also having a very good time today, enjoying the warm weather, doing some harvesting. Yes. 
I was harvesting nettle tops for soup yesterday. I was in the big patch of uh, nettles in the goat pasture, and there were several things that I noticed. Um, one was that there appeared to be two different types of nettles growing there, somewhat intermingled. One type had reddish-purplish stalks and really stung, and the sting itched. Almost as soon as you got stung, you started itching and had to, like, rub your hands. They itched so much. Wow. And the other one was more what I think of as North American garden nettle. Now, in Europe, the garden nettle is a real stinger, and it's small. But the garden nettle here in the States has a green, grooved stalk, and the leaves are, they can be pretty dark green, but the red stalk nettle, the leaves were almost purple. They were so dark green. Wow. Yeah. And the purple stalk nettle was all in flower. And the other one, the one I'm I'm thinking of as garden nettle, um, wasn't yet. So that's where I was able to get stops. Mm. Nice. Yeah. So I'm wondering, you know, if there's, of course, the house right there by that goat pasture where the apprentices live is called the nettle patch. Mm-hmm. And called that partly because of my experiences with nettle there. When I was first living on Fish Creek Road, there was wasn't any nettle in my, in my gardens. There weren't even any gardens. And as a matter of fact, the cooperative extension had said that I was foolish to even think about having gardens. So I was looking around to see if there was any place nearby where I could get some nettle. And across the road, there's an area with a lot of poison ivy, and then you're on top of a cliff. And at the bottom of that cliff, it's really wet, and there is a big patch of nettle there. Now, of course, for hundreds of years, people used that cliff as a place to toss things they didn't want. Small and large. Refrigerators, bottles, cars, beds. Wow. And people, over the years that I've lived here, I've seen people go down there and actually mine that stuff. Like one winter, there was a man down there who was pulling out all the metal because he could sell Mm. it. Right, there um, because there was a big bottle-making industry in this area pre-revolutionary. Um, people really mine for bottles, which are often just tossed over the edge. But for me, that was just on the way to the nettle patch, way down <laughs> there across the road, through the poison ivy, down the cliff, and finally to the nettle patch. And then, after a couple of years, I noticed that there was actually a little nettle growing here and there in the swamp that was between me and the nearest neighbor. And it really probably shouldn't even be called a swamp. It was just an area 
with a clay underlayment where water sat. Mm. And it, so there was like usually two to five inches of water there. Only a few places deep enough to, for cattails or the bigger grasses to come in. Just a kind of a breeding place for mosquitoes. But here and there, there was nettle. And one day, I heard the nettle call out to me, and it said, come and dig me up and take me. And I said, oh, oh you're so wrong. No, 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 no. You're in a good place. You're, you know, you like, you like it kind of damp, and you like it really rich. You've got it made there over at my place. It's, you know, I always tease. I have two kinds of soil, solid rock and broken rock. Mm-hmm. I said, you're not going to like it over at, my, over at my place, Nettle. And Nettle says, dig me up and take me home. I'm like, no, 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 you're wrong. And one last time, Nettle says, dig me up and take me home. And I got it, you know. I might be stupid. I might be slow. But if I hear it three times, I can hear it. I can hear it. Okay, dig you up and take you home. I do not understand this, but I'm going to do it. And I did. And within a very short amount of time, the woman who lived there died. The house was torn down and bulldozed, and the area where the nettle was growing was bulldozed. Oh. And I realized that the nettle knew that. And asked me to take it home. Hmm. So now I have lots of nettle very nearby. Nice. <laughs> wow. <laughs> It's a good thing you listen to that nettle. Wow. Yay, yeah. nettle. And, you know, May and June for uh, can be really good nettle harvesting, depending on where you are. You don't want to get it once it's flowering. And those wilder, redder, stingier nettles probably already are, unless you're higher, unless you're colder, like you are, right? Your nettle isn't flowering yet. Um, we're only about 800 feet above sea level, and it's. I actually harvested some nettle today. It was not flowering yeah. yet. Not yeah. flowering yet, yeah. right. right. Not you flowering still have, yet. So. You don't have weeks, but you still have days before, yeah. before it flowers. Like so. <laughs> right. This is the time, right? If you haven't harvested your nettle for infusion, get out there and do it. Remember what happened last year when suddenly... The supply from Eastern Europe, from all of those places that grow all of these wonderful organic herbs for us, was disrupted, and you couldn't buy these simple herbs. They are simple. Get yourself a nettles patch. It's pretty easy. It'll even grow in a pot. And harvest your own nettle so you have it. I buy hundreds and hundreds of dollars worth of dried herb. I'm not saying by any means that I harvest and dry all of my own, but I like to have it. And as you recall, that's what we did last year, right? When we couldn't buy any, the apprentices and I went out and <clears throat> I cut down all the flowering nettles so that it would re-sprout <clears throat> so we could harvest more nettles to dry. Mm. 
wild roses are blooming. Wow. You open your door. It's just like the scent of roses is everywhere. We have lots and lots of wild roses, and they're climbers, and they're, they're, they just blanket and cover things. Do you have wild roses there? Not at our new home. I, we do not. Our old home has a nice rose garden, wild and cultivated, so I miss the roses, but um, oh, I'm delighting in hearing you talk about them. <laughs> that was perhaps the first longevity tonic. The first Rasayana, in fact, that I ever received was a pot of rose petal honey from India. Mm. From a guru in India that one of my apprentices brought as a teacher gift. And this this is the time to do that. The wild roses are blooming. You can just put an old bed sheet under them and shake and the petals will fall on your sheet. Wait an appropriate amount of time for all of the insects to crawl away. They will be small. Give them a chance, and then gather up all your rose petals and stuff them in a jar and pour honey over them. Wow. Mm. Not only not only is it fabulous um, <clears throat> for keeping your hormones really flexible and moving because remember anytime we're balanced we're one step away from death as a matter of fact I was just listening to some lectures about brain states and the brain state that precedes a seizure is that the brain becomes balanced And instead of the neural messages moving in waves across the brain in dynamic disequilibrium, it becomes balanced, so it's static, and then you have a seizure. Wow. Fascinating. That is fascinating. That really is fascinating. I have a dog that has seizures. I'm, I'm, so. not, say, I'm, not, saying in this, I'm not saying in this study wasn't saying that's what causes it. But they are right. seeing this in the brains of people just, just before they have a seizure. We're not implying cause mm-hmm. and effect at this point. It's not like, oh, we figured out what does it. But there's something going on mm. about the brain stopping that movement and getting balanced. Wow. We're going to be talking with somebody who knows about movement and dynamic disequilibrium this evening at 9, and that's Megan Ray, community herbalist, permaculture facilitator, healing artist, and holistic wellness educator. Wow. You are going to really enjoy Megan Ray. Show up at 9 o'clock or stick with us until then so that you can hear how she is empowering regenerative lifestyles through traditional 
skills and stories. What plants have you been working with this week? Uh, well, we, the nettle was my first solo harvest, so that was fun. Um, the red clover here is starting to bloom. And yes. it's amazingly vibrant. Yes, yes. So, Just the first um, awesome. Mm, nice. Yeah, very nice. Um, we actually, my husband and I, over the weekend, we did a lot of clearing of buckthorn. Um, so that was a lot of work. We're both pretty scratched up from that. Um, but it was interesting. I was talking to the buckthorn a bit, and finally I feel like I got the message from buckthorn about what she's here helping with. So it was nice harvesting her with a little dialogue going on, or not harvesting, but taking her out <laughs> with a little dialogue going on. Um, so, yeah, we've that was really time-consuming this weekend, but... Um, just enjoying being outside. If you're all scratched up, it sounds like an earth-protecting plant. What's that? If you're all scratched up, it sounds like this is an earth-protecting plant, that it grows in disturbed areas basically to keep people and animals out so the plants can regenerate. Yes, I would say so. And she's done, done a very wonderful job because there are so many baby maples that are coming in and a lot of honey locusts that are coming in. Uh, So we're really trying to make some room for those. Um, Noticing here something that I haven't noticed before um, with such regularity, which is there are some really grand oaks around. And a few times now I've approached the oak wanting to give a hug or say hello and Within inches of my lips meeting the tree or my arms touching the tree, there's poison ivy. And she is just all over the oaks here. So I get the feeling that the oaks are something really special here. And um, they're very grand, but they're not that numerous. So interesting. And the buckthorn was definitely doing some protecting around the oaks as well. Yeah, yeah. People here get really intense with the buckthorn and go to war with herbicide, but I haven't found that necessary. Um, just more. What family is herb- what family is the buckthorn in? Oh goodness, uh, I don't know, Susan. That's a wonderful question. Find out. Tell us next. Okay. Find out. Tell us next. I will. Do- okay. Good. Sure I'm interested to know. Yeah. Nice. Me too. <laughs> It's not a plant that I'm that is in my area, so. Ah, okay, definitely. Well, I will get the botanical name. Probably, next probably week. we were just talking about the wild rose, you know, which is a somewhat invasive plant. As a matter of fact, it's high on the list of invasives in this area because it really does climb all over things. So they probably have a similar niche. Mm. Mm-hmm. Thorny, protect, thorny protectors who sprawl. Yes, yes, and this has lots of prolific berries, so 
just so reproductive and there are so many little saplings all around. So she's a good, um, a good way to learn how to be very observant and very thorough. And yeah, she's, uh-huh, she uh-huh, yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good places for birds. Good habitat for birds. Yeah. The berry, does the birds eat the berries? Somewhat, somewhat. The, the, tree itself has a reputation for being, um, well, it makes you very nauseous, all parts of it, the bark, the berries. So the birds eat the berries sparingly, but they don't, like, delight on them. So, um, uh, uh-huh. Kind of an emergency it, food. Oh, right. well, nothing less to eat but buckthorn berries. Ick. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and it gets to be tree-sized. Oh, a big tree. Yeah. Big tree. Oh, oh, okay. All right. So you were out there with a chainsaw cutting down big trees. Yes. I had the loppers and Jay had the pole saw. So we were working together like that. And then we had three fires going. (laughs) Okay. You were burning it as you were cutting. Yes. Mm-hmm. Where we live, we can do open burning, and it was, had been really wet and cold a couple of days before, so it was a great time to do that. Yeah, it was wet and cold here kind of for our work weekend, but we got stuff done anyhow. Nice. Even though we had to light a fire, and it reminded me of the year when out of the 61 days in May and June, it rained 59. Oh, hmm. I was desperate to get the nettle in. And, you know, usually I won't harvest nettle within 48 hours of rain. It's protein-rich and really apt to rot if it's wet before you harvest it, which is also why I harvest it between, you know, 11 and 3, bright sunshine. Um, but I wasn't going to get any nettle in at all before it flowered if I stuck to those rules. So I shortened it to, okay, it had to be 12 hours without rain. (laughs) And then we hung it in the studio, you know, where there's a wood stove, and we just had a little fire going in the wood stove. Just We hung them separately. We went to the trouble to hang each stock separately, not touching a little bit of, you know, wood heat in the room. We did manage to get some nettle harvest. It wasn't a great year for harvesting, but... Which is why all my teachers always said, harvest for two years. When you're harvesting, don't just say, what will I need next year? Always ask yourself, what will I need for the next two years and harvest that much? Oh, that's so wise. Wow. Thank you. Wow. Yeah, thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Do we have anybody with questions? Yes, uh, we have three callers that have raised their hand by pressing one. We have lots of callers on the line, so I'll remind everyone, please do press one if you have a question and would like to speak with Susan tonight. Our first caller is calling from the 603 area code. From the 603, you are live with Susan. Hi, Susan. It's Rose calling from New Hampshire. Hi, Hi Rose. Hi. Um, 
you. Good to hear from you. I especially wanted to talk to you tonight because um, I was on my way to work out to, you know, help uh, try to decrease the pain of <laughs> that severe scoliosis. And um, I had been wearing long sleeves the last couple of days because um, it was so cold and rainy and, you know, there's no way I was wearing short sleeves. So today, because it turned hot here, I put on a short sleeve shirt and lo and behold, on my forearm, um, an embedded tick. So um, I went to uh, the urgent care because uh, nobody else could see me. This is so busy after the holiday, I guess, and um, waited for two long hours. <laughs> and um, so she took it out. She said it was a deer tick. Um, it was not engorged, um, but it was in there deep because um, I could only see like a little speck of its tail. You know, it was in there but was not engorged, but she still said to be on the safe side to take one dose. Rose, I have to just interject a little factual stuff here for me. Oh, thank you. Okay. Deer ticks do not embed themselves in your flesh. They are incapable of doing that. Huh. Oh, she doesn't know? (laughs) A deer tick from a dog tick? (laughs) <laughs> no, you didn't see its tail. You saw the whole thing. That's how small they are. They can be oh. the size of a poppy seed rose. Okay, well, when she took it out, it a was... It doesn't really have tiny. any way to dig itself into your flesh. Deer ticks have a mouth that looks like a scissors. Imagine pinking shears. That's what their mouth looks like. And they use their pinking shears mouth to cut off a piece of your skin. As a matter of fact, anybody who lives where there's lots of deer ticks will have taken a tick off themselves that's holding a little piece of their skin in their little pinking shear mouth. And they, before they do that, they put some anesthetic in the area so you don't feel them do that and then you start to bleed a little bit and they lick up your blood they don't have any mouth part that can pierce or go into you a dog buries buries its head in your flesh it has mouth parts that pierce and that can pull its head into you so that only the body of the dog tick is visible. And it's big. Dog ticks are big. This was not at all big. do embed, but deer ticks cannot be embedded. They glue themselves to your skin, and they range in size from as small as a poppy seed to big enough to see, but never as big as a dog tick. Okay. So my question to you, thank you for that education, is... Yeah, what um, I suggest you do, if you see something like that on yourself, is you use your fingernail or the blunt edge of a knife, the back edge of a knife, 
and scrape it against your skin because those ticks glue themselves to you. They can't be washed off, but they can be scraped off. Well, she had to use tweezers. There was no scraping it off to pull it out. So it she, was. She could indeed use tweezers. That is another way to do it. Uh-huh. And you can use tweezers, too, if you feel that's okay. Sometimes if you, ha- you know, it's on the right and you have to use your left hand, you don't feel like you're dexterous enough with that to use tweezers. But what I'm saying is you don't have to use tweezers. I've taken hundreds and hundreds of deer ticks off my body. Hundreds and hundreds of deer ticks off your body. Yes. Yeah. I live in the Catskill Mountains. There are a lot of deer ticks here. I am outside barefoot most of the time, Rose. Yeah, me too. So... There are, you know, I spray up with yarrow, and I look at my body every day so that I am, you know, familiar with what's going on, and I make myself very alert to the sensation of that little bit of anesthetic that they put down so that it makes me itch, and then I feel them. And usually, to tell you the truth, what I do is I just grab them, no matter how small, with my herbalist thumbnail. Uh-huh. And my it finger and pull them it right off my body. Huh. It didn't itch at all. I never felt it. And it just was a little you bit... You have to make yourself head. sensitive to that. You have to ask your body to be sensitive to that anesthetic that they put down before they cut you and ask to react to it. So my next question, she wanted me to take one dose of that antibiotic to fulfill the prescription for one dose to be on the safe side. I don't know what to do, whether, you know. Because On On the safe side of what? Of not getting Lyme. Well, the Center for Disease Control says that it takes 48 to 72 hours for a tick to pass Lyme disease to you. Yes. And I have no idea how long it was on there because I didn't, I didn't happen to, um, to see it, like I said, for, I don't know, at least two days because I was wearing long sleeves and I didn't shower, so I didn't see it on my forearm. And even when I was at the gym working out, I had long sleeves on, so I didn't notice it. (sighs) And you said that she said it wasn't engorged and you can't get Lyme disease if it hasn't gotten your blood because the Lyme organism has to change its DNA to match your blood. Oh, if it's not engorged, you can't get right. fine? Yeah. Okay. Okay. And it also means that it wasn't on you for that long. <laughs> sure seemed like it was red enough. But uh, so I, I'm getting the feeling if this were you, you would not 
bother taking the one dose of that, um, I forget what they call it, doxycycline. So I would ask myself, on the safe side of what? Is it safer for my health? I don't know what, uh, yeah, what one dose will do to my gut because, you know, I've been having irritable bowel symptoms anyway because of my right. anxiety. That's what I remember. Symptoms. Yeah, you're very right. good at remembering. Yeah. So that's why I'm saying on the safe side of what? On, on, mm-hmm. on the safe side of her not being sued or on the safe side of your health? Those are different things. Yeah. Uh-huh. So am I hear I think I'm hearing you saying that it could do me harm just the one dose. Yes. Yeah. I do believe. Well, just one dose of antibiotics could do you harm if taken needlessly. Yeah. And I don't see a need. Okay. Perhaps well, I you value, do. No, I, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. Um, no one knows better I'm than saying. you. <laughs> no <laughs> one knows better than you. If the Lyme organism is in your body, your body knows that. Uh-huh. Okay, Susan. Well, I so appreciate your opinion. And I'm so what grateful. I would do, what I would do is I would take some astragalus. I would probably brew up a quart of astragalus infusion. Quart of astragalus. Astragalus root. Yeah. I'd weigh it an ounce, put it in a quart jar, fill it to the top with boiling water, let it steep overnight. And actually, I wouldn't strain it because it's big hunks of root, so you don't really need to strain it. Just drink it as it is right out of the jar. And when I've drunk all the liquid out of it, I usually fill it up again. I'm drinking about a cup of astragalus infusion a day in addition to my quart of nourishing herbal infusion. I don't so have the, that, that one ounce brewed twice is enough for a whole week. So, I watch what's going on and listen, and listen to my body. And if, you know, if that's See, that's what I do to be on this safe side, is I drink astragalus. Now, it's good for my immune system. It's yeah. supportive. It's nourishing. So if I say, oh, what, you know, oh, dear, you know, then, well, here's what I can do. I can be sweet to myself. I can take care of myself. I don't have to hurt myself in pursuit of being on the safe side. Uh-huh. So uh, I don't I don't I I don't know where to get astragalus root quickly. So what if I can't get it sent to me for a week because I have to order it? Something I don't have. Is it? Is there anything is I there can do? Is there any health food store that sells any herbal tinctures in your area? Uh, tinctures, possibly, but I I might have to send for that too. But again, I don't know if they're the kind that you would recommend. Uh, um, I don't think they have that. Well, what I, recommend, what I recommend is having some astragalus on hand if you live in an area where there's ticks. Oh, in okay. Fact, so that, in, fact, okay. I, in fact, I keep a pound of astragalus root and 
a pound of astragalus root powder. I just made breadsticks okay. yesterday, and I put um, astragalus root powder in with the flour and the breadsticks. Uh-huh. And then I used some hemp oil in it as well, the very tasty breadsticks. Huh. Stephen Booner has popularized the idea that astragalus helps your immune system fight off Lyme. Oh, okay. And I see nothing wrong with that idea. Astragalus is an herb from China that American herbalists have completely embraced and made our own because it is so sweet and soft and soothing and helpful to the immune system and just makes you feel good. Okay. So I keep a pound of powdered astragalus around, which I put in food. I keep a pound of the root pieces, which I brew up for infusion. Okay, and did you say the uh, the one ounce of astragalus root that I put, like I would make the other infusions, Use it. I can use it every night for a week. Once I get it, to make to use it over and over again. The one ounce, the same one ounce. Is that what you said? Put one ounce in a quart jar. That's exactly right. And let it but, steep overnight. That's right. And you and don't have to strain. It, That's right. And, but refrigerate it, and drink one quarter of it every day. There's four oh, cups in a quart, and you're going to be drinking oh, one. one cup a day. Okay. So in Four days, you will have emptied the jar, and then you boil another quart of water and pour it into the jar. Let the jar cool off. Don't take a cold jar right out of the refrigerator and pour and boiling water root? into it. Over Last the same month. The same root. Yes. The same root. Okay. Okay. Glass does not like you know having boiling water poured into it when it's really cold. So let it come to room temperature. It'll be okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Or. Or put a knife in it, which somehow keeps the glass from shattering. So you use another quart of boiling water, the same root. Again, let it steep overnight. Refrigerate it, drink a cup a day. That way you have a cup every day for a week. And that's it. Eight cups. And that's pretty much all you need. Okay, anything else? Because I'm not going to be able to get that right away. And if it is a t- if I can find the tincture, um, then how you would could, I take that? You could use the tincture. You could also and use. Do you have Do you have hypericum tincture on hand? Yes, I do. Hypericum tincture is a good ally to help your body find and get rid of Lyme disease organisms. Okay. So I don't so know how much. Get out your hypericum. Get out your hypericum tincture. Uh huh. And carry it around with you. Put it in your pocket. And when you think of it, or when you feel it, take some. A few drops, what? a dropper full. I don't know. Okay. Feel it. Feel into it. You know, one of the things I do is. I hold the dropper over a small amount of water or other liquid, and I hold it so that I'm exerting a little bit of pressure on the dropper so that it's drip, 
hundred thing. Mm-hmm. And there's a point at which it just stops. And I let that be the amount. And I might notice, you know, is that, how is that? Is that an effective dose? Does it need to be more than that? Right? And, and I listening well? Or do I need to listen better? Give yourself an opportunity. Many times we don't, we think that we can't hear what's going on with ourselves because we haven't really given ourselves a chance. I think I must be an oddball because I've tried that so many times and I, I don't get that inner knowledge that you get. I don't get it. I don't get it. I don't get it. I've tried it so many Talk times. Not any inner knowledge. I'm talking about a point at which the drops stop coming out of the dropper. Nothing to do with an inner knowledge. I mean, uh, for it to stop coming out of the dropper, that means there's no more in there. <laughs> You're not pushing it hard enough for that to happen. Okay. And you I have usually... the dropper between your fingers, and there is a very slight pressure. And I usually, uh, you know, feel it. Drop, it's, it's, it's like come out, one as thing. I said, drop, yeah. drop, yes, yes, slow. Yes. Yeah, most people just take the dropper and squeeze it. Yeah, in the in the li- in the liquid liquid to um, and then it yes, fills the gap. Yes, I understand. But what I'm suggesting is something slightly different. No, I mean squeeze it when I put, put insert it into the hy- hypericum. You know, we I put squeeze the dropper it. into the hypericum and squeeze the dropper, and then let no. go. Take the dropper full out of the bottle. Now, holding the rubber mm-hmm. stopper. Use your fingers to apply a very slight pressure on that dropper. Very slight pressure. And watch the drop slowly come out. And don't be a point to which it stops. Observe it. Because it knows is what you're saying. Because you know. You know. You know at a level... That's too big for you know. So let the let the big you know. The big you, the big you has got you covered. So maybe I've been making a mistake because I've been using a whole dropper of it um, whenever I think for my pain for against pain of the scoliosis. I don't know if it helps Can or you not. Use a whole dropper. Well, I have used whole dropper flows as often as every 15 minutes. I didn't say you can't. Oh, okay. I didn't I say you use... made a mistake. Yeah. I said, here's another way to uh-huh. work with it. Uh-huh. But for Lyme, it's okay. It doesn't have to be by dropper because it's a different thing I'm, I'm working. Because you are using this to observe and okay. educate yourself about yourself. Well, all right. Okay. Well, thank right. you so much for that information. You're welcome. Welcome. Right. Yeah. Good night. Thank you. Thank to you, Susan. God bless you. Thank you. All right. We have three callers with their hands raised. 
And our next caller is calling from the 212 area code. From the 212, you're live on the air with Susan. Hello, Susan. My strong, beautiful, wise teacher, it's Lauren from New York. Lauren the Greater, I love you. (laughs) I love you, too. I love you, too, and I'm seeking your help because I'm scared. (laughs) I've been having... I've been having symptoms for a week that I'm seeking to understand, to be open to, and how to how to handle them. Um, and, and this is sort of on the heels of some allergy symptoms, including congestion, dry eye, itchy forearms, boundary issues, some stuff I didn't really. I got very, very, very dizzy Wednesday. And I tried to deny it the first time, and I took my long morning walk, and that was okay. And then I came back, and then again, seriously dizzy. And so I went to urgent care to just check out my vitals and find out because it was just an unusual symptom. And they gave me um, meclizine and advised me to follow up that it looked like it was um, allergy-related and... Um, I didn't take the pills that day. I was pretty tired. I took one 25-milligram pill on Thursday. And Friday, and I was mostly sleeping and doing a little reading. Friday, I woke up, and the world was spinning like I can't even describe. I, I couldn't even, like, read anything. I couldn't see. I was throwing up. It was very scary and pretty isolated here and I just couldn't get it to stop and I didn't even know how to get it to stop or what the heck was happening so I did go to the emergency room because at least I thought they could rule stuff out and they took tests and uh, said that the blood work was normal and everything was normal although some of the stuff I couldn't actually read the pages and I don't completely understand them now that I can read them um that I wasn't, you know, that it wasn't anemia, that it wasn't the heart. It, you know, they ruled stuff out and uh, diagnosed me with vertigo and um, sent me home with uh, to go see your doctor the next day and all that and um, gave me 50 milligrams of the meclizine while I was there. And I was really nervous, so I took it. I think one or two more times that day and twice on Sunday. And I was very dizzy and weak and spacey, and it was just scary. Um, And I did follow up with my doctor who um, we we talked it over and said, you know, she said probably could be allergy, could be ear infection. Um, so what doctors generally do is dose you with a decongestant or an antibiotic. And she said, I don't think you want either one of those, so let's see what happens. And um, it's just, it, I've been feeling a little more normal. But this morning it was, um, it took several hours for my eyes to work together. One eye was fine, the other eye was fine, but together they didn't focus. And at some point in the day I just felt, too weak and dizzy to go on and I've had like short bouts of feeling normal but it's so 
I've never dealt with this before. I don't know how to deal with it, and I'm, I don't know what to do. It's scaring the hell out of me. And I'm so afraid that I'll go on that whirly gig ride that I had on Friday morning again. I really get how frightening this is and how important it is to you that you not go spinning off into outer space. <clears throat> really, really hear that. Do you have OSHA tincture at home? Yes, I do. OSHA will help your body calm down about the huge amounts of pollen that are in the air. Mm. OSHA will help your psyche strengthen itself Mm. to be in public again. To be in public again? Is that what you're saying? Yes. Oh, my God. (laughs) How did you know that that's what I'm facing? (laughs) You just told me, didn't you? Again, 
If the ocean we're thinks it's ended on We're talking about by being on the safe side. Yeah. You can be on the safe side with echinacea because taking echinacea is going to improve your microbiome. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And but it's going to help your immune system. And if you don't have an ear infection, you lose. Your microbiome was improved and your immune system was <laughs> nourished. That doesn't sound like losing at all now, does it? No, no. Should I go right to the regular strength, half the body weight, three or four times a day? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. And if you get amazing results, just you'll say, Oh, my gosh, that's what it was. It was an ear infection. And when you started talking about it, I thought, ear infection, ear infection. Mm. I, I'll tell you how I know this, because one of my cats once got up from a nap and fell flat on her face. Oh, fuck. God. Fell over like that. I feel and her like eyes were, like, whirling in her head. And I'm oh like, my oh, my God. gosh, gosh, my cat's dying. What's going on? And I took it a step and took one look at her and said, ear infection. My gosh, my gosh. She said causes vertigo, causes you to be dizzy, causes you to fall over. Oh, God. What a guest. Yeah, gosh. Oh, my goodness. Mullen tincture. Should I use that? And how should I? Should I is you that could. It? You could. I think, I think of mullen tincture as an ally for people with persistent coughs. Yeah, or I mean, I ally with people that are traveling. Mm. You know, if you want, if you want to like up <clears throat> the echinacea, if you if you get like good results but not good enough, and you say, oh, there is an infection, I need mm-hmm. something more than a little bit of poke root. Mm. Hmm. Right. With the caveat that poke could make you a little dizzy. So. <laughs> <laughs> I've used poke, though, so I know poke. So it would be exactly. like, you know, it's the right. thing that comes from I don't know where that scares the bejesus out of me. Yes, yes, yes. I was and having how perfect that all the big bad things are ruled out. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, you don't more... have a brain tumor. You didn't have a heart attack. There was right. nothing seriously wrong with you. Yeah, Good. I mean, that, I, I was, I was glad to... You are definitely on the safe side. I was glad to have done that. My my very responsive doctor did uh, uh, have me get some antibiotic in case to have on hand. But, yeah, so I've... Yeah, yeah, so we were yeah. sort of prepared for that. Um, I had... Uh, like congestion a lot you know i'm not usually allergic but this year apparently um and then i had a couple of weeks of dry eye and then a few days of dry mouth and i actually did go to see the eye doctor because i had old retinal surgeries that needed just regular monitoring and he said everything yeah. was fine the glaucoma level nothing nothing was wrong and he said oh allergy and he oh. said um uh eye drops, uh, specific ones with antihistamine, which I didn't get. But So I'm also kind of asking about that. <laughs> but, I mean, I, it's funny, since I've been like fall, feeling like I'm falling over, my eyes have opened pretty well, but previously it was kind of like opening them. Interesting. <laughs> one of the highest levels 
of grass pollen in the air that I have ever seen in my life. Mm-hmm. Everybody is sneezing and coughing and itching and their nose is running and their eyes are running and we're all just like, all right, enough already, stop, stop, stop. Mm-hmm. Right? Even an allergic reaction, it's just reaction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you know, and when it gets extreme and when you can't function, whoa, then, hey, we want to do something about it. But so long as just a little, like, sniff and I'm uh, we're having to wash the stuff off our cars. There's so much of it. Yeah, there was a lot of like that. It was a little coughing wow, and a little sneezing, and I had a little mullen, and and I didn't right. I didn't think anything of it. I was unhappy with not being feeling like I could open my eyes some mornings. So I wasn't sure what to do about that. But OSHA, 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 bless OSHA, OSHA, Gosh, I always have that, but I'm always yeah. careful to use it. Yeah, yeah. by your bed so that you remember it. Mm, no, me too. I'll remember it. It'll be in my little basket. Oh, boy. Okay. Okay. Um, two things of the x-rays that were a little scary, that it said heart appears enlarged in transverse diameter. What the hell is that? An incidental finding. Okay, good. Um, then the other thing that bothered me a lot was that the size, shape, and configuration of the ventricles in sulci are unremarkable for patients' stated age, which worries me because, you know, <laughs> they're going to look at me and say, ah, oh, 64, almost 65-year-old. Um, they're not going to be looking for healthy, I guess. <laughs> And I'm not satisfied with that being unremarkable for my age. <laughs> it worries me a little, you know. <laughs> so I do something uh, yeah, about that. I, I was complaining about something to one of my physical therapists, and she said, "Well, you know, that's perfectly normal." And I looked at her and I said, "You expect me to accept normal?" <laughs> Well, I don't expect you to expect normal, but I'd like to be a little. I'm not. I'm not going for 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 Susan level, but I would like to be a little a little unremarkable for normal. We don't have to worry about it. Uh, is there anything I should be doing about? It? No, I just want to stop feeling like I'm falling down first, right? Yeah, yeah. I think that that's really the critical thing here, and and let's see if. OSHA is the ally that carries mm-hmm. you through. Mm, 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 that sounds great. I'm going to add it to my, my cup of linden. <laughs> nice. Very nice. Very nice. Right. Oh, what is a tonic. Thank you so much for talking this you are with me. I really have been scared, and you've kind of helped me locate it better. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Love you. Love you, love you. I love you so much. And thank you for your time. Mwah. Happy spring. Bye-bye. Right, and I'll remind everyone listening, if you have a question for Susan, please press 1 so that we know that you have a question and would like to come on the line. Right now we have two callers with their hands raised. 
Uh, our next caller is coming from the 720 area code. From the 720, you're live with Susan. Yes. Hello. Hi, Susan. Hi. Um, thanks for taking my call. Um, this is my first time calling, um, though I've been listening off and on over the past year or so. But um, I'm having a bit of an issue. Um, let's see, about... Two weeks ago, I felt a lump in my groin, um, and I sort of thought it might be a zit or something, and um, by the next day, it had really swollen, you know, quite large to like the size of a quarter, Um, and it was hot, and um, I figured it was a swollen lymph node, Um, but I did go to the the doctor. you know, fearing it was an infection and it was going to spread quickly. And um, they, sure enough, they did give me antibiotics. Um, They thought it was um, gonorrhea or syphilis or um, all kinds of STDs they tested for. Um, And it wasn't, it wasn't anything and which I, it wasn't any of the things that they tested for. So, um, I I did take the antibiotics, so they gave me two different ones right there in the office, um, a, a shot and then an oral antibiotic, um, mostly out of fear. I, I knew I didn't really have an STD, um, but, um, you know, I, I just thought, oh, you know, this could be serious. Um, yeah, and so the lymph node did begin to shrink. Oh, over actually, the next... it could be serious yeah. is true. That's not mm-hmm. where the fear is. The fear is, and if I don't do something right now, I'll die. Mm-hmm. Which isn't true. It could right. be serious, is true. Mm-hmm. But I have to do something right now, does not follow. It could be serious, I need to do something as soon as I get a diagnosis. Mm-hmm. And I'm talking to you about this now because this won't be the last time in your life that you'll be in a situation like this. And it will help you to remember, okay, I'm telling myself the truth. This could be serious, but it's not serious right at this instant, right? Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Because that's what happened. Mm-hmm. Was that it became as though you had to do something right then. Yeah. Because it could be serious in the future. You're quite right in saying that you acted out of fear. We all do. There's nothing wrong with acting out of fear, especially if we understand that we're acting out of fear or have acted out of fear. Mm -hmm. It then can help us not act out of fear in the future. To say, okay, this could be serious. I need to keep a really good eye on what's going on here. I'm glad to doing this. Let's see what it is and let's decide on the most effective treatment for what's actually going on with me. That's a response to this could be serious, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Instead of just reacting immediately. 
and well, instead of acting as though you had no future. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> and it, again, it's somewhat, you know, the theme of the evening here, and that is that the doctors urge you to act as though the worst has already happened because they're in an emergency room and they don't know if they will ever see you again. So they feel responsible to make you take the treatment for the worst possible thing in case it is the worst possible thing and you never come back or you never get results. Right. So that's the other thing that we need to ask ourselves anytime we're in a medical situation, especially an emergency medical situation, am I the average patient? Am I the patient they are used to seeing? Are they actually talking to me or are they talking to this average patient? Right. Yeah, I felt like they were responding to a statistic. You know, they spent five minutes with me. Right. They weren't actually talking to you. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Right. And and it's actually polite and reasonable for you to say, thank you for that information. It doesn't apply to me. I'm not going to accept any treatment until I know what we're actually treating. Mm. Yeah, thank you for that. You're welcome. You're welcome. You did a good job. They manipulate your fear and they manipulate their your fear because they're afraid. Mm-hmm. They're afraid that you might have something bad happen to you and that they could have helped you avert it and didn't. And they're afraid that if something bad does happen to you that your relatives will sue them. Yeah. Liability. Exactly. So, right, our theme tonight is to be on the safe side. So to be on the safe side, they Mm -hmm. make sure you take the antibiotics, that you're frightened into doing it. And to be on the safe side, you learn to just say, I'll be happy to do that when I think it's really useful. Mm -hmm. And right now, I don't know that yet, and neither do you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I have to, being my own advocate um, in the doctor's office <laughs> is really yeah. something that's so important. Yeah. 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 So, you know, meanwhile, the meanwhile. lymph node has, yeah, the lymph node has shrunk, but it's actually still there. Hey. But it's still there. <laughs> <laughs> it's 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 shrunk but not completely. Um and then huh? um I went and got a my first dose of the COVID of the Moderna vaccine actually and huh? the lymph node swelled again. 
Um, <laughs> not not to the extent that it was the first time, but um, yeah, but it's still there. I'm not having any other symptoms really, um, except for maybe stress and emotional symptoms, but otherwise. There's very common weed that grows throughout the United States from south to north and east to west. It's in gardens right now and probably in bloom in any garden area or park area or waste area around you. And that is a clingy but inconspicuous plant called cleavers. Mm. And cleavers tincture will be a very good ally for you. Mm. Cleavers. I've never heard of that. Gallium apirine. It's a skinny plant with the leaves and whorls. Pretty little white flowers and seeds that occur in pairs and that are hairy and really look like testicles. Mm. (laughs) And um, it is renowned for its ability to um, help restore health to lymph nodes in the testicle area. Whether or not you have testicles, you have a testicle area, which is your groin, right? Right. used for a lot of other things. Do somebody tell me that it's their favorite um, fresh herb to put on a burn? Oh. And that she finds cleavers exceedingly cooling. Oh. And is this a tincture that I could buy? Are there yeah, herbal I'm companies? Sure you could. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I'm sure that Catskill Mountain Herbals carries it and red moon herbs carries it yeah so I am in Hawaii actually um, and I don't know I live here I don't know if you know any herbs it this very well might grow here the cleavers a lot of I'm pretty sure cleavers brother I've seen okay. it in subtropical Florida oh, okay so I'm pretty sure that it's managed to find. It's one of those garden weeds that just goes wherever there's gardens. Right. You're not going to find it growing, you know, out in the bush, out in the wild. It's not like a wild plant. Okay. It's a real garden weed. Okay. Okay. I do have some gardens I can go scrounge. I can go look around. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Green blessings. Good night. Green blessings. All right. We have one caller that has pressed one to let us know that they have a question. And the caller is calling. We have two callers now that have raised their hands with questions. And uh, the next caller is calling from the 908 area code. From the 908, you are live with Susan. Hi, Susan. 
It's Carol. Hi. From New Jersey. Hi. Hey, yeah, Carol. Hi. I love you. I love you. Um, the other um, session you had mentioned um, when you were driving to your uh, hyperbaric that you had chia seed balls and meat sticks. Chia seed something um, else was in there. I was wondering if you could tell about those, the chia seed balls. Sure. Basically, what you want to do is choose dried fruits and nuts Mm. and chop, mix them together. Many people like a base of figs or dates, but you can use some or all apricots, dried apricots or dried cherries. Make sure the dried fruit you get doesn't have, like, yucky oil on it or sugar on it. Really read the ingredients list. And um, then, you know, any nuts that you want to chop into it. And you get, like, kind of a pretty sticky mess, which you form into balls. And you can use some cocoa powder to keep it from sticking to your hands and get a little cocoa in there, too, or even use cocoa nibs when you're mixing the stuff together. And then roll it in chia seeds. Make it, mm. you know, like a truffle, like you roll a truffle in the cocoa powder. Roll your sticky right. ball in the chia seeds, right? And now the chia seeds make a, a really tight outside to it. You can, like, squeeze it and really get the chia seeds there, yeah. right? And then you let it dry a little bit. And you have your own kind of fruit nut chia seed ball. Nice. Yeah. Easy. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the meat sticks? that you mentioned, are they something you make or you buy commercially? I do. I'm going to thank um, Astrid, Astrid Grove in Colorado and her um, Red Earth Gathering. And the first time she had me out there to teach at uh, Red Earth, and I'll be teaching virtually there this year, Um, she provided me with a bacon bar and it's actually not really made of bacon at all it's just called a bacon bar but it's as absolutely as satisfying as bacon it is real pork it's not um pretend anything um and i really enjoy that um when i need to something after my treatment to really get myself to move into the rest of the day. Mm, get yeah. up from where I've get up from where I've been laying down and get some move on. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So does Astrid sell those or the bacon bar? Bacon B A R bar. Yeah. That's good. Yeah, it's called the bacon. And yes, it's there for sale at health food stores. Okay, I, uh, that's great. Good, good. Um, yeah. Um, so I spoke to you before about the stitches in my lip from the fall. I had two dissolvable um, stitches, and that was about a month ago. And I did get the um, cleanse. No, the comfrey. And I've been applying it, and it still is a knot in there. Like I guess it's 
a knot inside and it feels like a big uh, bump on my top lip. So um, I guess it'll take a while for that to smooth out. I think that it will take a while. Okay. Yeah. And I've known quite a few people with very raised scars to use herbal oils of some kind or another, calendula, a variety of different things, and to be able to ultimately um, smooth the skin out again. I'm doing the herbal infusions, um, and any particular one that might assist this healing? Which of the infusions has a real affinity for skin? Uh, let's see, oats, oat straw, nettle, um, mm, oh dear, nettle, red clover, um, I'm thinking of all of the, um, infusions, comfrey, comfrey? Comfrey. Yeah, yeah, so, so, okay, I got it, yeah, and then the nettle, I heard you say, I have the hardest, the nettle is the best, one of the best ones, but I have the hardest time with it. Um, you know, like the linden is so sweet and smooth. Um, but I think the, the nettle, you said sometimes you put miso in it. I thought I If heard you're you going to it. have it hot, I would definitely put miso in it. I have my nettle ice cold. Okay. I made, that, that makes it more palatable. I, I, I would believe that. Ice cold. Ice cold. The only way that I will not drink any infusion is tepid. Oh. You won't drink any of them tepid, hot. I won't, but that's just my personal preference. I know people who say, yeah, oh, right. you know. Like, Michael says, oh, just let it sit out at room temperature, and when it gets, you know, almost to room temperature, then I'll be happy to drink it. I'm like, ugh. Yeah, you yeah. know. Great, right. great. Hot, 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 or cold, 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 and nothing in between for oh, me. I see. Yeah, nothing in between. Uh, yeah, excellent, excellent. So you, you've dried the nettle. As you like it. Drying. But as you like it, you know. As you like it. Yeah, yeah. And I like... I also like in the summertime to freeze infusion into ice cubes. Oh, brilliant. So if I, so if I had like nettle infusion and I wanted iced, I have nettle ice cubes I can put in it. Oh, that's really good. That's terrific. <laughs> and which, yeah, which place do you have, would you say, the largest conglomeration of your recipes, your fabulous recipes? Would you say it's in... Um, on the website more or in one of the books more. I love your recipes. The green the green book, Healing Wise, has pages oh. of recipes for each plant. Oh nice. So that's a really good resource. And I think I'm not sure, you have to check and things are kind of still in the works. But I think that a cookbook that there is a Wise Woman Center cookbook and I know that the mentor site has just been redone, and there's going to be some grand opening, and I think the cookbook might be something that's going to be 
coming along as a gift for joining up as a mentor student. Again, I'm not for sure sure, because I'm not in charge, but there's a a possibility. So you can always, you know, you can always ask at uh, Facebook. People monitor the Facebook things and answer questions like that. Um, or write to Wise Woman at Herbs Healing, and that will get you to the people who actually know about those things. Right, and you call right. it the Wise Woman Cookbook. It is a, actually a book in existence. It's an ebook. Oh, e-book. 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 Oh, that's fun. Wise Woman Cookbook. Oh, that'll be fabulous. Yeah, cookbook. Yes, I'll have to. So it's so you 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 go at, give an email to to. Why? I don't. I'm telling you, I don't know if this is actually going to be something that's happening, or if I'm just talking through my hat here, which is quite possible. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and if you want to find out about getting that, then email wisewoman at herbshealing dot com, and the wonderful woman who. And tends to that email address will answer you and tell you about getting that cookbook, that ebook. Thank you, Susan. Okay. I love your recipe. You are welcome. Thank you so much. Oh, I love you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Hugs and kisses. Green blessings. Good night. Green blessings. Good night. Hello, are we still together here? Oh, sorry about that. I not, the mute button was on. I apologize. We uh, do not have any callers with questions at this moment. Uh, so I'll remind everyone to please press one if you would like to speak with Susan. We have about eight minutes before our guest joins us this evening. Um, I do not see her on the line yet. Would you like an email question? Yes, let's have an email question. Okay, Um, email questions here. Uh, Our daughter is two years old and has a difficult time falling and staying asleep. Do you have any suggestions for cooperation at bedtime? Right now, it is a rare night that she will fall asleep unless I or my husband sleep in the room with her. Thank you. Um, This is is a difficult question to deal with, and especially at such a distance. Each child is born with what we could loosely call a rhythm, a wave of sleeping and waking and sleeping and waking. My sense, and it's just a sense, because I don't have any information really at my disposal here, is that at two years old here, this child's rhythm 
is establishing itself as a rhythm that's quite different in its wake-sleep cycle from the parent's wake-sleep cycle. And that the parents are wanting her to sleep and they sleep. And her body isn't in a sleep state at that point. If we could talk, I would say, are there times during the day you find that your child is nodding off or really wants to sleep or seems to be lethargic or what you might even call lazy to try to establish when the child's rhythm of sleep is actually asserting itself. Sleep's a pretty normal function and to stave it off you have to do really extraordinary things. So especially with a two year old, would assume that unless some really enormous trauma has befallen her, and that can be um something like a natural disaster to seeing something traumatic in her environment, um, that her sleep will, if allowed, um, come easily and naturally at the times when it wants to come easily and naturally, but not necessarily at the times when the parents want her to sleep. And again, because I can't actually talk to the parents, I can't find out anything about them. And if I'm somehow offending you with my answer, I beg your apology. But all I have is this email to go on. And so uh, thank you for indulging me and bearing with me here as we um, try to see what's actually on with a two-year-old who, as you say, isn't sleeping. Call so we can talk about this some more. Dream blessings. All right, and we do have a caller that has pressed one, so we are calling from the 203 area code. From the 203, you're live with Susan. Hi, Susan. Um, I have a question about my eye. I called in a few months ago because I had um, what a doctor told me was Demodex, so I had like a kind of cyst-like thing on my eyelid, and you told me to use clay on my eyelashes which I'm not sure I didn't do it like that consistently so I'm not sure if it really helps but that went away and now I have kind of an eczema-like rash around my eye that's been there for about a month um I've used St. John's wort oil and I tried like a plantain balm but nothing seems to be helping so I was just wondering if you have any suggestions can you get hold of some fresh chickweed I can, yeah. That's my suggestion. Fresh chickweed, a nice handful of fresh chickweed crushed up between your palms until it gets juicy and applied to your closed eye. And do that at least once a day. Okay. For as long as you need to. Okay, would the dried work as well? Because I was actually thinking of creepers. Uh, I have creepers, but no, 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 no. It must be fresh. 
Okay. Okay, I'll try and find some. All righty. Gardens, cool spots, compost piles. Okay, Planters sounds in cities. good. Yeah, cool. like where trees are planted in cities and there's boxes around them, that's a great place for chickweed. My class in Amsterdam found chickweed growing there in February in Amsterdam. It was cold and snowing and chickweed was growing. It likes it cold. Cool. Thank you. <laughs> Green blessings. Good night. Good night. Green blessings. All right. And it does look like uh, our guest, Megan Ray, has joined us. She is on the line. And we do not have any other callers with questions at this time. Megan Ray, a community herbalist, permaculture facilitator, healing artist, and holistic, holistic wellness educator, roots herself at Living Hearth Farm a homestead and creative studio in northwest Wisconsin. Megan Ray has taught with Green Wisdom School of Natural and Botanical Medicine, the Midwest Women's Herbal Conference, and Gathering of the Guild's Permaculture Convergence, along with creating and co-facilitating the Open Hearth, PDC, with her partner. Megan Ray is the host of Nature Remembered podcast and contributor with Land by Hand, a permaculture education and media platform empowering regenerative lifestyles through traditional skills and stories. Welcome to the show, Megan Ray. Hi, Susan. It's so great to be here with you tonight. I am so excited that we get to hear your stories and hear from you about all of the things that you are doing. You know, way back in the very, very, very earliest days when Bill was just kind of thinking through about permaculture, um, I knew him and I did my utmost to convince him that the best permaculture of all was weeds. (laughs) And I just could make no headway at all. And it, to me, it is like a renaissance of permaculture that suddenly, you know, um, Rosemary Gladstar's voice is being heard and I'm being included in like this one's permaculture magazine and suddenly the weeds are getting their say in permaculture, the most permanent of cultured plants, huh? Yes, exactly. Oh, I love that. I was wondering if what your familiarity was and if you knew bill at all that's that's wonderful and i I love that too i think there's been such a resurgence and so many more voices have come to the table and it makes me very happy Yes. (laughs) yes 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 it's just so exciting right now in permaculture because it's really has opened its heart to Mm. really really useful plants not just food plants Mm mm-hmm you know, and I always, I always teased Bill, you know, that that all of the all of the food crops of humanity are annuals. Yes. <laughs> right, beans are annuals, grains are annuals, all the things we eat are all annuals, Bill. <laughs> <laughs> you can't like really totally buck that trend, you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, yeah. Oh, that's so great. So, so you are, and you in one being converge those things together which part of this do you want to talk about what do you want to share with us 
Oh, I mean, is there anything in particular you really want to hear? I mean, I can go so many directions. I I love I love the convergence of permaculture and herbalism so much in those two worlds. So I'm open. <laughs> what happens what happens when they converge within you? Well, like what you were what saying. Is, what does that with, look like? It manifests. Yeah. Yeah, I I love that. I think I think the important thing to look look at here is that both of these are really about, you know, looking within, slowing down and tuning into our bodies. And when we're doing that, we're also able to look deeper and tune in with the land around us. At least that's how it was for me. Like when I first started slowing down gardening, working with weeds, just learning about plants, I found myself being able to tune in with myself even deeper. And it like permaculture didn't happen without herbalism. You know, I think in my realm, I, I they're just intertwined in such a rich way. And it's really about, you know, thoughtful approaches to and respect to the land. Yes. Yes, I'm always kind of shocked when I go away from where I live to see how few weeds people have. Because, you know, because I love them. There's just, you know, plantain everywhere and dandelion everywhere. And there's just banks upon banks of weeds that we can just harvest with, you know, so easily. Right? And then I go to other places and they're like, wow, you know, you know, not there. And I, and I have really been disturbed recently to read that in the past 20 years, a third of the world's birds have disappeared. Hmm. From common wow. birds to rare birds are gone. And uh, perhaps that shouldn't be such a surprise when we hear that close to 80% of the world's insects are also gone. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, somehow yeah. permaculture and herbal medicine seem to me to be the convergence that is going to support insects and birds. Mm. Right, right. And it's a philosophy, right? I think when I, you know, I think of permaculture going even deeper, like beyond the garden, just thinking about a way of approaching a landscape, approaching what you notice, you know, do you hear fewer songbirds? You know, do you see fewer insects? Are there less weeds growing than there were before? You know, what's happening to this land and working to regenerate it in the ways that you can and on a local level? Absolutely. I am so in awe of the National Wildlife Federation who decades ago uh, started a grassroots effort to make backyard sanctuaries and is nearing their millionth mark, their millionth Mm. backyard sanctuary for birds and butterflies and insects. And how much... How much better that can be when we start to tune people into the beautiful, fruitful, useful, medicinal plants that they can grow. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and really every plant has a purpose, right? I mean, we, you know this, right? Like every 
seed you have growing every plant, anything, it it's there for a reason. And just trusting that and learning about that and just being able to tend to it in that way rather than getting frustrated that, <laughs> that it's there. <laughs> yes, Sarah Ellen was talking about that at the beginning of the show, of the buckthorn. Right. That... Uh, it threatens to overrun her land. And, uh, you know, Michael Poulon's first book, Second Nature, in which he really grapples with, you know, how much, how much is he allowed to change the landscape? How much is he, how much is he really allowed to do here? Can he cut down a tree? Can he cut down a whole forest? Can he till the earth? Does he, is he limited to hand tools? I mean, it's really interesting to ask mm. ourselves, like, what what do we what do we allow ourselves to do? I personally find myself to be a very lazy gardener. When I notice that the nature never tills the soil, I just gave it up. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. It makes sense too, right? I mean it it does, and and I've noticed too the more that I've just stepped back and let things flow I mean I can relax right the the control that I think can happen when you want a garden to to be a certain way to have a visual of what you want and then and just kind of you know breathing and surrendering to what it is it becomes that much more magical and and beautiful do you have a plant or plants that um, you're currently really enjoying growing? I have pretty prolific lemon balm right now. Um, it is the plant that is thriving the most, and it's the one that's been so just incredible in this moment. Lemon balm immediately popped in. <laughs> How have you been using it? Oh, yes, a little bit here and there. I, I love um, lemon balm, oxymel, and lots of fresh tea, just fresh lemon, lemon balm and water. Lemon balm, Now, that is something that I have never tried. Oh, it's and delicious. <laughs> what a good idea. Do you make mm-hmm. your oxymels by making a honey of the herb and a vinegar of the herb separately and then combining them, or do you... Mix the honey and the vinegar together with the herb. Tell us how you do it. Yeah, I just do it all together. Um, yeah, I've just, we are keeping bees right now, and so working with the honey from the beehives and then some and yeah, just kind of portioning it out to taste, and I I don't make it too sweet. Do you do half I honey like, and half vinegar? I actually do a little more vinegar than honey so it's probably it's not an exact ratio but um maybe like one-third honey and two-thirds vinegar yeah i would say it's closer to that definitely yeah yeah it's it's tasty though it's got um very much the lemon and it's kind of liquidy then because the honey and the vinegar are mixed together and then you harvest the fresh lemon balm and chop it up and then pour Mm -hmm. the mixture of honey and vinegar over it yes exactly yeah. Yeah. Oh, easy. Very easy. It's very Whoa, easy. Oh, <laughs> nice. And then it's, it's ready to use in six weeks? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, it's delicious. It's 
really great in the summer, especially. I love just, you know, having someone its own or mixing it in with just making like a little drink with it or some sparkling water. And it's just so refreshing and cooling. Um, and yeah, it's my favorite drink was the summer gets warmer and warmer out here. So, And of course, we could do exactly that with any of the edible mints. Yes. Yes, exactly. Any other edible mint? Tulsi, you can make a Tulsi Oximel. Mm-hmm. Right, if you that one's peppermint. very good, too. Ooh, peppermint mm-hmm. Oximel and a little sparkling water. Whoa! Yes. Uh, don't, don't pay your money for you know that stuff. Make your own herbal drinks. They're so much fun. And oh, as, as you're hearing from Megan Ray, really easy to do. Megan Ray, if people want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you? You have so much information and so much to share. I want to be sure that they know how to get more. Yeah, absolutely. So a couple different options. Um, we, you can reach out to me through the farm website, which is livinghearthfarm.com, or the Land by Hand website, which is our educational branch of our work so that's landbyhand.org and that's where you can find more and reach out to me through through there all right would you like to see more herbalists aware of permaculture and why yeah i'd love that (laughs) Um, why why would you like well i think i i think as herbalists it's so important and I know I've just been seeing so many more conversations around the importance of working with plants equally. Um, I think when I first was kind of getting into herbalism, um, I, I'm really grateful that I, I was learning kind of permaculture methods and teachings because it kept me more aware of like working with those backyard herbs. Um, but I think, you know, some sometimes it's, important to just think of like, oh, what do I have access to and what's in abundance? What are those plants that are already growing and flourishing where I live? Um, you know, what's easy to access, right? Like moving slowly through, looking at what's around, kind of observation, which is a big part of permaculture philosophy too, is observing and interacting. So I think that's that's the main piece. And then just how much more, like, our love for the land and our knowledge and resilience that we can have when we are engaged with the plants that grow just outside our front door. So it, it makes it more exciting. <laughs> so that's, that's what I really see is just starting to kind of apply some of these principles and ethics that permaculture provides and, and weaving them in with the way we work with plants. So if more herbalists knew more about permaculture, they would be more likely to focus their use and teachings on local plants rather than exotics. Yes, exactly. I think yeah. you know, I think a lot of permaculture's focus, right, is, is the local localization or working on bioregional approaches to designing a landscape um, because it's different here than it would be 
um, well, I'm in Wisconsin, so it's different here than it would be in, like, say, Florida, right? So very different plants growing there. And if we're going to design a garden or work with the land in a way that it flourishes the best, like, I'm going, it's going to look much different. <laughs> so, yeah, I think that's definitely an important element um, moving forward, especially, so that we're creating less of an impact. It's one of the things I really like about permaculture, is it actually teaches people to be in relationship to the land. Mm. I had some funny experiences with so-called master gardeners, which I thought mm. meant somebody who had, like, a relationship with the land, right? Mm -hmm. so I asked to do certain garden chores, and they did them totally not in relationship with my land, but in relationship to where they had been certified as a master gardener. Mm. Right. And then when I asked right. them, they, they freely admitted, oh, yes, you know, you're only a master gardener of your area, and that's you just have to learn about conditions there. And I thought, oh, it's so much more exciting to teach people to be in relationship. Then you don't have to teach them all the little details. Mm, exactly. Right. Yeah, relationship, that's that's a wonderful word. That's I think it gets down right to it, <laughs> what you said. I mean, it is about being in relationship with the land and relationship with how we how we navigate. Um, and relationship with community. Call yourself a exactly. community herbalist. What does that mean? Exactly. To me, that means working with people that I'm connected with in some way, um, really valuing and building those relationships with people that live near, that I can see directly, that I can get to know, and um, and just starting there, like starting small, you know, um, moving slow through through getting to know and building the relationship. It is, you know, it takes time, right? <laughs> so, so just for me, it's really on that localized level again, and um, that feels the most nourishing for me at this time as well. So, um, really, really tending to those relationships. It does take time, but it also gives time, doesn't it? Yeah. Because as we, as we slow down, there's more time. Yeah. There's yeah. more time to Isn't give and take. Amazing? Yeah. Because there is more give and take. Yeah. To me, the great lesson of the garden is try again. Mm. Mm -hmm. Because you never know. You never know what kind of output you're going to get from your input. Exactly. Yeah, and you learn so much. I mean, there's never a time where I'm like, oh, I know everything there is about this thing. Like, nope. <laughs> every year, every year there's I just got an email from Mar Marjorie Wildcraft who said that um, one of the people in her circle – is doing her best to breed a boro-resistant squash. Mm. That would that would be quite the miracle. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So okay. all all you know, everyone individually and working collectively, it gives me real hope. You call your place living hearts. 
farm. Can you tell us a little more about it? Yeah, so my partner and I, um, so we we homestead. We're a small-scale farm, and we are, we've been here almost two years now, about a year and a half, so we've been really working to just get to know the land and work on putting in our garden and growing as many trees and shrubs and medicinal plants and food that that we can and we enjoy and um, keeping chickens and bees and our our goal is to just continue to offer our education here and the ways that feel good and like moving forward and getting the spaces set up so really creating an environment for people to come and be with the plants and and learn from the land and just yeah build community and it feels really exciting to have roots <laughs> so it's been a dream we've had for many, many years. So, um, What kind of trees have you been planting? Oh, um, we have plum and apple and a couple pear and lots and lots of, um, not exactly trees, but black currant shrubs and red currants. And um, I love the berries. So, <laughs> like, all sorts of different, like, gooseberries and um yeah we've we've got quite a lot of small small baby trees hopefully they'll fruit in the next few years and that's that's part of the hopefully <laughs> hopefully they will and you see you know this of course is one of the the problems with planting tree crops <laughs> is you're gonna you know at the at the least you're going to wait three years to get any food from that tree crop. And, you know, if we're talking like a walnut, we're waiting 25 years mm-hmm. to get anything from it. For an apple tree, we're talking eight to ten years. And in that space that tree takes up, you could grow enough food to feed a family of four every year. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's if you grew, kind of... Well, you know, when you grow annuals. Because you can grow mm-hmm. that much more beans and rice and pumpkins. And, you know, I, I live where there's lots and lots of orchards. But I also see what a toll those orchards take on the environment. Mm-hmm. And, this, you right, know, well. especially, especially, you know, when people are homesteading, um, I, I like to see them invest in um, places where they can grow high nutrition value food. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that's a really, really great point to bring up too is kind of like the mono, monoculture idea, right? So if you have an apple orchard and you're just growing apples, right, and that's all the input you're putting into that land, and it is such a long time to wait for those apples to grow. And in the meantime, that land, you're right, like it couldn't be growing so much nourishing food. And so we strive to integrate a lot of what we grow and to plant, you know, medicinal herbs at the base of our trees or to grow food yes. alongside. Yes, more so what medicinal herbs are you planting with, with these trees? So I, like in Costa, Costa Rica, they ring them with comfrey. Yes, that's. That's what we do. Lots of comfrey. <laughs> um, it's a great 
a great one. Um, Comfrey and um, Austin Yarrow, too. Um, that's mm. one that I like to grow under the trees, and it helps with Beautiful. pests. So, and what? Um, helps with pests. So, like... The um, yarrow helps to repel pests. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So do you harvest the comfrey? Uh, yes. Yes. And use it internally? I I don't normally. I often work with comfrey just for external, um, but I just haven't personally had it internally. I'm not opposed to it, but often uh-huh. use it for skincare. With so much comfrey around your trees, <laughs> I'm going to urge you to start drinking comfrey infusion. I've been drinking well, comfrey infusion for, for <laughs> over 30 years. And oh, so long as you're growing comfrey from root and not from seed, it's perfectly safe. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And you yeah, said you'll have good access to it. And how, what, you know, what better thing to teach people how to handle a protein rich herb than to harvest comfrey with them and hang it to dry mm-hmm. and be able to make the infusion right there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Do you have a nettle patch yep. in your land? Wisconsin's a great yeah, place for nettle. It's it's all over. <laughs> yes, it is all it's over, right? Everywhere. It just. What about it, ramps? Yeah, Do you have any ramps that you are? What What was that? Do you have ramps? Wild leeks? Yes, we did see some in the woods. Yep, there's a few. All right. Very very Good. minimal, yeah. but yeah, some. So it was very. Yay! <laughs> um, yes, like little tiny baby ramps so it's like a patch of four here and then a patch of like five here and yeah yeah very very sweet but yeah I would love to see like a large flourishing patch we did actually plant some more near our home to see if we could kind of tend to them a little bit more (laughs) and kind of give them um see how they do in the woods by our home so I have they're they're doing okay (laughs) They like to grow where there's a spring that flows Mm -hmm. at least early in the year. It doesn't have to be a year-round spring, but it needs to seep seep a little bit, so long as they can be in that kind of situation. Because, of course, they're leafing out in the spring, and then by the time it gets into the hot summer, all their leaves have withered and gone, so it's okay if the spring dries Mm -hmm. up then. Sure, yeah. 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 Yeah, and as what you about have noticed, they, they want to dampen yeah, the light. They don't want to be right out in the sunlight. But neither do they want to be heavily shaded by evergreens. Thank you. Yeah, no. <laughs> I just, no <laughs> little deciduous yeah. cover, thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, no, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> they know what they like. <laughs> right. Yeah, they're, you know, they're one of the One of the things that, that uh, really opened nature up for me was my decision to herd my goats rather than to keep them behind a fence. Mm. And I actually, for years, went out with a notebook, which I called What Goats Eat, and actually journaled, really watched every mouthful that they ate, and learned so much about how plants change as they grow by watching the goats and seeing wow. what goats eat. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, animals, just letting them roam, right? It's fascinating to see what they'll what they'll consume and just what they get into and 
goats are goats are a handful. <laughs> <laughs> that they are. Yeah. So let's see. You have bees and and what other domesticated animals besides the bees? Um, chickens. So chickens. We let her. Yeah, we let our chickens run all over, and that's also really fun to watch them eat and um, just observe their their little nuances. And every year when the raspberries come, they're jumping up to eat the berries. And <laughs> it's great when seen it. Oh, those berry-stealing chickens. <laughs> yeah, they're just like, this is the good stuff. And, oh, it's just it's delightful. I mean, I want some for myself, too, but, like, I also think it's so great that they – discovered that <laughs> they can jump up and and reach them so, <laughs> so they're entertaining. Uh, all right and of course there's always the delight of seeing all the wild craft gathering to have chicken dinner yeah yeah <laughs> yeah animals you never knew you were coexisting with show up to eat your chickens like oh really i didn't know i lived with mings okay Oh, so, yeah. Oh, yeah. Tell, yep. tell people again how to get in touch with you, Megan Ray. Yeah, so you can visit one of the two web landbyhand.org or livinghearthfarm.com. And that's Earth with an H before it, Living Hearth Farm. Correct. And yes. Yes, I like that. A lot of hearth, for those of you who haven't heard about it, is a place where a fire is lit. Mm-hmm. It's the center of the home. Grandmother Twyla always said you must start from the south because that's where the hearth is laid. Mm. Yeah, mm. it's a wonderful word. And yeah, it also includes like earth and art and heart and kind of nestled in there. And so it really kind of is our leading kind of energy that we lead with with a lot of our work. And so, yeah, it, it's incredible. <laughs> Someone gave me a T-shirt that said, Earth without art is just eh. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I could talk to you for such a long time, Megan Ray. You're a delight, and thank you so much for sharing so brilliantly with us. What would you like to leave in the hearts and the minds of everyone who's listening to you? Hmm. I just have really been thinking a lot about trust lately. Um, So just I really want to leave with this prayer of trust and that we trust ourselves and our bodies and that we trust what we're hearing from the earth and what we're experiencing around us and that we slow down enough to, to listen. Thank you. I feel blessed. Hmm. I'll take that in. Such rich nourishment. Thank you. Thank mm. you for helping to restore herbal medicine to its rightful place as people's medicine. Thank you for helping us to look at our own feet and at the soil under our feet. And thank you for helping to reweave the healing cloak of the ancients. And thank you, Justine, and thank you, Sarah Ellen, and thank you, everyone out there, for restoring herbal medicine to its rightful place as people's medicine. Green blessings. Good night, everybody. Green blessings.